Today on Blue 58, it is the bye week, so we get a second to take a breather and take a look around a little bit. The best way to do that, I think, is by taking a look at a few of your questions, starting with a pressing one. What do the Packers do with Mason Crosby? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into your questions, a, a couple things I want to mention, just as housekeeping things up at the top here. Three things. First, posted at patreon.com slash thepowersweep today. So yesterday, by the time you hear this, is a podcasting gear guide. I got a question about this from uh, Matt Pickett of Hey Lou, hey You, We Love Your Pod, or I Like Your Pod, excuse me. And uh, he, he wondered if I had any recommendations about podcasting gear and stuff. I do. And I've posted it at patreon.com slash the power sweep for everybody to take a look at. It is free to look at, not, you know, uh, you don't have to be a subscriber to look at it. Uh, so go over and, and check that out. I will include it in your show notes as well. So take a look at that. If you're thinking about doing any podcasting or maybe thinking about a gear upgrade or something like that, maybe a, a good thing to have in the back of your mind, especially as we approach the Christmas season. And as we approach the Christmas season, thing number two, keep an eye out for fundraiser stuff and an ear out, I guess, for fundraiser stuff from from us. We are going to do the charity drive again this year. Unfortunately, the charity is a little bit up in the air. Well, last year we did Adrian Amos's um, um, I'm Still Here Foundation. I have reached out to them again this year to see if that's something they'd be interested in doing, and I have not heard back yet. So if you are connected to that foundation at all and you're hearing this, go ahead and get back to me. If you're Adrian Amos and you're hearing this, why? Um, I have nothing to teach you about football here, so feel free to take the rest of whatever this time would be and, and do something else. Um, and if you're thinking about contributing this year, uh, just stay tuned. We're going to have something about that in the near future, uh, but we may be going in a different direction with the charity unless we can get some word back from them here in the relatively near future. The final thing, as I kind of said in the intro, the best way to get, I think, a feel for, for what you're thinking about the Packers and what I'm thinking about the Packers is by answering questions. Uh, if you have questions that you want me to take a look at, if you have things that are on your mind that you're wondering about, if you've got just stuff that you, you don't know and want a different perspective on, ask those questions either by the contact page at thepowersweep.com on social media or via our Discord server if you are a, a Patreon supporter. Um, the, the plan is to do your questions exclusively for this episode. The next time on Friday to take a look at, uh, the offense, uh, and then next week we'll take a look at the defense before getting back into our regular, you know, schedule of how we do shows and things like that with a preview of the Packers and Bears. Good? Good. Let's talk about your questions. The first one, as I mentioned up top, is, uh, is about Mason Crosby. What do we do with the Packers kicker? A couple of listeners have posed versions of this question, so I'm not going to tie it to any one person directly, but this is something I think it's going to take a, a little bit of talking through because the near the knee-jerk reaction is just cut them and move on. And I can see why there is um, some, you, you want to go there extinctionally because at a certain level, kicking is a binary. Either you kick the ball and it goes in or you kick it and it doesn't. And it seems like as often as not, almost literally, I guess, as often as not this year, when Mason Crosby kicks the ball, it does not go through the uprights. But, as always in football, there is more to it than that. I see two real big things here at play here. First, we've got to decide how big this issue is, really. 
And second, if it's big enough to make a change, what do the Packers do? Neither of those questions are as straightforward as they seem. Let's find out why. First, how big an issue is this really? It might seem, again, like a bit of a weird thing to ask because, hey, he's kicking it, it's not going through, but bear with me. Mason Crosby has missed nine field goals so far this year. He's 18 of 27 as of this recording. Of those two, though, two have been blocks. And sometimes blocks are the fault of the kicker. We've all seen it. These blocks were not Mason Crosby's fault. They were the result of the right side of the the blocking scheme just utterly collapsing. So I don't think we can put that on Crosby. So if you take those out of consideration, Crosby is already up to 18 out of 25 on the year, up to 72% from 68%. Not great still, but better. If you're talking about a 72% kicker, you're probably talking about a guy you're a little bit frustrated with, but maybe we're still a little bit away from uh, ways away from making a change. Of those remaining 25, though, I think we can put another two misses down to bad field goal operations. I was looking at some of the, the film on this today. That sounds a lot less interesting than it actually is, a lot less prestigious. Just basically looking back at whatever missed field goals I can find. I think at the very least, we can put another two down to bad field goal operations. At least one of them was against the Bengals. And I, I'm putting that down as not being Crosby's fault because he pretty pretty publicly ripped into Corey Bajorquez after missing that field goal, which is wildly out of character for Mason Crosby. Just It's not something you see him do a whole lot. Just get, for one thing, really agitated about a miss. He's usually, I mean, he's got a hangdog after a miss. I'm sure all of us would be, but he doesn't really get angry about it. But that one, he was pretty animated with Corey Bajorquez. There's at least one other one. I have it in my notes somewhere. I couldn't find it back, video of it to, to confirm for sure. There may be more, but let's say conservatively, another two of his misses are not, either not completely his fault or entirely not his fault. So if we toss those two, Crosby's numbers on the air are actually up to 18 out of 23. That's still a 78% mark, 78.2% to be precise, which is bad, but it's only the fourth worst mark of his career. It's still bad, don't get me wrong, but maybe not quite hair on fire bad. So just remember, as we're thinking about Crosby's struggles here, to put it in the appropriate context, he's also missed a, a PAT. Uh, so ultimately, including the, the miss of the, the point after, you're looking at six misses in 12 games. Admittedly, a couple of those misses have been really bad. Some of the field goals he's missed, he has had, I mean, that ball has had absolutely no shot at all. Some have been close, a couple have gone off the uprights, some just no chance, no chance at all. And I said after a recent game that it looked like he has the yips. I still think that. I don't know if that's something you cut him for. He's had a couple rough stretches before. 2012 was a real rough stretch, a little bit different because a lot of what, what he was missing was from real long. But they've kept him through slumps before, and he's figured it out. So I'm leaning towards maybe don't cut Mason Crosby right now. I understand if you feel otherwise, though. So let's talk about the flip side here. Say you did want to replace Mason Crosby and say you wanted to do that right now. What would you do? I think you've got three options. One guy who's pretty young and two veteran options. 
The young guy is J.J. Molson. The Packers have had him around basically for a year and a half now, kind of the Jordan love of kickers. They seem to think something noteworthy about him because they kept him around for most of last year as a basically a COVID insurance policy for Mason Crosby. And he's been on the practice squad for this year. He's on the practice squad right now, sporting number 11. In, incidentally, this is neither here nor there. Uh, J.J. Molson, you may be interested to know, is uh, the lightest player on the Packers roster right now, a 180 pounds. I'm not bigger than a lot of Packers players. I'm not bigger than a lot of professional football players. I'm significantly bigger than him. He was a career 69% kicker in college. So I don't know how confident you'd feel making that switch. I don't know how confident you personally would feel about making that switch. But that's the guy the Packers seem to be interested in keeping around and uh, developing, I guess, having in-house. They think enough of him that they've kept him around long enough to, um, well, to take up a roster spot for basically a year and a half now. In terms of veteran options, there are not a lot of guys out there right now that you could bring in and safely say would be an immediate improvement over uh, Mason Crosby. But there are a couple names that you might notice. The first, I think, is Dan Bailey, free agent right now, a career 85% kicker. But he was released by the Minnesota Vikings last year after going 15 of 22 for the Vikings. And if he's having a tough time kicking in climate-controlled conditions in a dome, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot better in the swirling winds of Lambeau Field. The other veteran option is a really intriguing name, Stephen Gustkowski. He was fantastic for the Patriots for a long, long time, currently in something approaching retirement, though when he spoke with ESPN this very week, oddly enough, he said he would not be opposed to playing again, but it probably won't be until 2022. Well, surely it can't be that hard to get into play or into shape as a kicker, you say. Why not bring him in and see what he can do? Well, here's why. Quoting from the ESPN article, quote, as for his own career, he hasn't closed the door on kicking again in the NFL, although that likely won't come until 2022. As a result of the Kaksaki viral infection he caught from his kid that sacked him for the better part of a month. Now, pausing here because he's about to give a little bit of a quote. And if skin stuff and basically the result of a viral infection could gross you out at all, consider this fair warning. Reading the quote here in five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Goskowski says, I had hundreds of blisters all over my feet and hands. I got it worse than the kids did. All my skin was peeled off my fingers and toes, woke up in the middle of the night and felt like my hands and feet had pins and needles in him, he said, ending the quote there. So, a viral infection. Yikes. I can see why maybe he want, might want to take a little bit of time to make sure he's all the way back to full strength. And he said that happened near the middle of the season about when he was starting to feel like, hey, maybe I should uh, start thinking about playing again. So he is probably not an option, a serious option here in the short term. Although if you were pretty desperate, there is probably a dollar figure that would get him off the couch. There may be some others, but that's pretty much it as far as proven guys that are kicking around out there. Pun very much not intended, although I'll take credit for it either way. And that shouldn't really be surprising because as we've seen throughout the NFL, and I guess even in Green Bay this year, it is hard to find a known quantity at kicker, a guy you're comfortable in, you're comfortable with year in and year out. So if you've got a guy, he tends to stick around for a while. So what are our options? Say you're Brian Gutekunst, here's the process you have to think through. Do you stick with Mason Crosby and hope he works through it? 
Do you go with the unproven guy in J.J. Molson? Or do you sign a veteran who is a free agent in December for a reason? you got to think any of the kickers out there that are available right now are probably available for a reason. I don't truly love any of those options. And honestly, sticking with Crosby and hoping he works through it kind of seems like the best of a bad lot. It's not great, but hey, at least you know what Mason Crosby can do. Right now, he's not doing it very well, but he has bounced back in the past, betting that he does it again kind of seems like the safest option. Don't feel good about it, but really, at this point, kind of as we've laid out, what else are you going to do? Next question up comes from Lee86 on YouTube. Shout out to Lee86, by the way. Regular listener, regular commenter on YouTube. Appreciate everybody who listens there. i got a pretty regular crew of commenters there, so if you are among them, uh, thanks for listening there. And uh, if you didn't know, you can listen on YouTube. If that's where you would like to to listen, just search the Power Sweep there, and you'll find your way over to YouTube. Uh, A lot of of regular, frequent commenters there. It's kind of like its own little community. So thanks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, everybody who listens there. So Lee has a very intriguing question here, paraphrasing here, basically saying, Yash Nyman's been good. Do we have to have a conversation about getting him on the field again, possibly at right tackle? And I understand the genesis of this question. He's been pretty solid. He's a big athletic dude. We've called him pound for pound, perhaps the most athletic guy on the Packers for a couple of years now. Any way to leverage that? The obvious way would be to kick Billy Turner inside to guard once David Bakhtiari comes back, because as fine as Nyman has been, he's no David Bakhtiari, he's no Elton Jenkins, obviously, but maybe you want to get him on the field, because the Packers do have, as we've pointed out a few times, a pretty significant problem at right guard. Royce Newman's not getting it done. So, maybe you put Yash Nyman at right tackle and kick Billy Turner inside to guard. Get another big athletic guy in the field, and Nyman... And maybe you shore up your guard position a little bit. We've gotten a couple comments related to Billy Turner lately. He's had a rough couple games, but overall, I think he's been pretty good this year. According to Pro Football Focus, he's got a 67.2 pass blocking grade on the year. That's the second best mark of his career behind last season. And I think he's playing, having a little bit of a tougher time this year because of, because of basically who's next to him. And uh, if you're going to chip anywhere, it's it's been on the left side, especially uh, with Yash Nyman out there. So he hasn't gotten a lot of help. I can understand uh, if he's going to struggle a little bit more in those circumstances. Also, in our penalties and sacks per 65 number, he's giving up 0.51 penalties and sacks per 65 snaps on the season. It's right in line with his career average, really not playing noticeably worse than we've seen on the season so far. And I think by moving him around, you run the risk of trying to solve one thing by making another thing worse. You're trying to fix right guard by potentially making right tackle worse. And between those two, right tackle is the more important position. So I'm kind of inclined to ride it out at right guard, frustrating though that may be. Even if Turner probably is a better option than Royce Newman, I think you'd rather have the weak spot at right guard than right tackle, especially if the Packers can get Josh Myers back. If they get Josh Myers back here in the near future, you probably solve the Newman situation by putting Lucas Patrick at right guard. Then you've basically got something resembling your preferred offensive line. Because if the Packers go uh, left to right, Bakhtiari, Runyon, Myers, Patrick, 
Turner, you're pretty close to having your preferred five guys on the field. You don't have Elton Jenkins, sure, but Lucas Patrick was a contender at right guard. Newman ultimately beat him out, but I think we can see right now that the better option is going away from Royce Newman. So that's a pretty solid five left to right. If Myers comes back and when David Bakhtiari is healthy, that's a pretty solid group, and you don't have to risk weakening right tackle, and you don't have to worry about moving moving guys around a whole lot just to solve something that may be a one- or two-week issue here as we start to approach the time when Bakhtiari really should be getting back to the field. But just for sake of argument, how would Ryosh Nyman do at right tackle? In the NFL, he has only played left tackle. That's not saying a whole lot. He hasn't been on the field a whole lot. And prior to coming to the NFL, he had been almost exclusively a left tackle in college. I say almost because it's not completely. He played exclusively at left tackle in college through his first three years at Virginia Tech, but his final season there, he switched over to the right side. He might be able to do it, and he might be able to do it at an NFL level. The question then is whether or not he could do it on short notice in the NFL, because between now and next Sunday, a week from Sunday, I guess, because we're a week and a half out, no, no game this weekend, you've got a week and a half. But really, that boils down to three or four practices next week because the Packers aren't going to be around this week. They're all on vacation, uh, resting, recovering, doing all the things they do. And flipping, flipping left to right is not easy. The footwork is all different. The timing is all different. The guy playing next to you is different. It's a completely different job. And it seems kind of like we said, it's a big, like a big risk right now. You're running the risk of making one position worse just to slightly improve a, a less important position. So as intriguing an option as Nyman might be, I think you keep him where he is right now. You let David Bakhtiari come back. You keep Billy Turner at right tackle. And then when Bakhtiari is back and Myers are back, and Myers is back, you, you maybe pencil Lucas Patrick in at right guard and see how you do from there. The interesting thing here is amidst all this discussion, we haven't mentioned one other name at all. Dennis Kelly. I think he's pretty well out of the picture on the offensive line right now. If they haven't gotten him in there by now, boy, is it ever going to happen? Kind of tend to think not. Next up is a bit of a depressing question, but I think it's one we got to talk about sooner or later. Race Pay Bay asks on Discord, what would you say the chances are that Robert Tunyon has taken his last snap in Green Bay? You think the injury helps or hurts his chances of retention by the pack? Tough question. Like I said, a little bit of a depressing question, but this is the reality of the NFL. Right now, I think it's about a 50-50 proposition, maybe a little bit better in terms of him returning to the Packers. It probably does help his retention with the Packers just by fact that he is driving his price down a little bit, just inevitably due to the injury. But there are so many unknowns. The Packers have a bunch of contracts to get to for a bunch of other guys before they deal with Robert Tunyon. They'll have to decide what they want to do with Aaron Rodgers, with Devontae Adams, for starters, among others, well before they get to Robert Tunyon. There's the question of how his recovery is going. Getting back from a knee injury is no sure thing. We're seeing that from David Bakhtiari right now. He had to have a second surgery on it. The ACL tear, sometimes, you know, it, it just doesn't doesn't come back uh, the same way or, or as quickly. And on top of that, he's going to be looking at midseason next year before he's even at the one-year mark. So even if he's back for the start of training camp next year, he may not be 100% for training camp, and he may not be 100% for the early portion of the season. 
On top of that, you have to ask, do the Packers want Tunyon back? They've had a lot of success finding random guys that can contribute at tight end. So maybe they think his skill set is replaceable. I don't think they think that, but it's possible that they do. Uh, Finally, does Robert Tunyon want to come back? How will the allure of potential money elsewhere affect him? How will he feels about what the Packers do with their other contracts affect him? If he sees he's not a priority, how does he react to that? That's a question you have to weigh. And it's a question we can't really answer here from the outside. The one thing we can really talk about is the price, although that gets a little bit nebulous too. Where does he fit into the tight end free agency picture? We do know the injury is probably going to push the price down, though how far down, hmm, that gets to be a little bit tricky. Ultimately, I think you look at structure here. I think it could be that what makes the most sense for both sides is a three-year deal that looks like a two-year deal that really ultimately ends up being kind of a year-to-year sort of thing. With the stuff you can do with structure and void years and stuff, you can make a contract basically any amount of years that you want it to be right now. But you probably structure Tunyon's contract if you want him back next year in a way where you give him a, a low number for year one, with year two probably spiking too close to what he could have gotten on the open market with no injury, and you feel pretty happy with that figure if he bounces back next year and is back to 2020, even 2021, Robert Tunyon. But if he doesn't bounce back next year, you just cut him after year one and say, we'll go our separate ways. Good luck getting more money uh, someplace else. We tried it. We both tried to make it work, and it just didn't work out. That is a little bit of a, a cruel way, I guess, of looking at things and uh, understand if that's a little bit not super palatable. But that's the reality of the NFL. You get injured, it can sh- change everything here in a heartbeat. The Jet Sweep guy asks on Discord, do you think coaches game plan for the variation in refing? Pre-game prep identifying which the re- or who the refs are and if they tend to allow handsy defender, defenders looser on holding, etc. Or do you think they just tend to feel it out in the game and adjust? I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that NFL teams 100% absolutely prepare for the refs that they are going to get. Different crews get reputations for different things. Some call more penalties, some call fewer. I don't know if you can adjust a whole lot like the minutia of gameplay and things like that. But they definitely know who they've got on a given week. And this is something that you can know as well. The referee assignments are publicly announced. And the penalty information out there is pretty granular. You can find out basically who is calling penalties when and for for how much right down to the individual ref. Uh, according to NFLPenalties.com, you can find out who's calling the most, who's calling the least, who's racking up the most yardage. When individual penalties are called, it gets pretty granular. And rather than counting a whole bunch of statistical stuff, here's one little nugget. The referee in the NFL who calls the fewest penalties is Carl Cheffers. 108 penalties by Cheffers in 11 games so far this year. That's an average of 9.8 penalties per game. Bill Vinovich, on the other hand, is on the far end of the spectrum the other way. He's called 168 penalties in 11 games, an average of 15.2 per game. Mr. Vinovich likes a long, slow afternoon at the football stadium, doesn't he? A lot of penalties, a lot of Vinovich on TV. Wild difference. And if you think NFL teams don't know the difference between those two crews, I think you're kidding yourself a little bit. Uh, Final question here comes from Brett via email. That is one way you can get in touch with us. The Power Sweep 
1959 at gmail.com is the best way to do it. Uh, check us out there. Uh, it's, a, it's nice to get email from folks, or you can just give us a, a message via the contact page at thepowersweep.com. Brett asks, although I do love A.J. Dillon, why is he being chosen over Aaron Jones even before entry? And more specifically, why aren't the Packers using Jones outside the tackles as he is an open field threat more than power back? It seems they just run him as a pass protector or up the middle, then use his lack of production as justification for using Dillon. Is this due to the extremely injured offensive line, poor or different coaching, or a front office stunt used uh, just to justify shipping him or asking for a pay cut? Interesting question here, a lot to unpack here. So let's start with some of the stuff towards the end first. Oh, well, I guess, I, excuse me, backwards. Let's start at the beginning and work all the way through here. Uh, the question as to whether or not the Packers are choosing Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon over Aaron Jones. It's not really the case. Uh, through 11 games, Aaron Jones had averaged 15.2 touches per game. Uh, through the season as a whole, A.J. Dillon averages 12.5 per game. So Jones is getting the ball more often. He didn't get more often this past game, but that's because it was the first time he was back from his ACL, or not ACL tear, MCL sprain. And you can see the Packers had him on a pitch count. That was just pretty obvious. Jones also has more catches by a long way, which is evidence of his value to the Packers. He does great in the in the passing game. He's been targeted with 48 passes so far this year, has 27 catches versus 29 targets for A.J. Dillon. Uh, excuse me, uh, Jones has 37 catches. Dillon has just 27 catches. Uh, so significant difference there. Uh, Aaron Jones is not also, uh, to continue on your question here, Jones is not really running all that differently from last year. It's not that the Packers aren't running him outside as much. According to Pro Football Focus, the only real substantive difference in his run direction or selection of runs this year is over left tackle. Uh, So far this season, he has only six carries going directly over left tackle. And I'll let you figure out for yourself why that one is the case. To more broadly address your question, though, I think there's a lot of Jones's issues tied directly to the offensive line. Uh, first of all, the offensive line has been in flux this year. Uh, we know that a lot of running back production is tied to the offensive line. And we know that Jones is a different kind of runner than Dylan is. Uh, so who do you think, just looking at the two of them, is going to struggle a little bit more when he doesn't get as consistent a blocking? It's going to be Aaron Jones. He can't bring his own blocker the same way A.J. Dillon does. And you see that in their yards after contact number. According to Pro Football Focus, Jones is averaging only 2.8 yards after contact per carry this season. Dylan averaging 3.2, nearly half a yard higher. And that adds up over the course of a game. Finally, finally, the front office is not shipping out Aaron Jones. This is not a stunt for them to get him out of town. And you can tell that just by his contract structure. He is going to be around for one more year, and then they're going to have a difficult conversation. And it's probably going to end with Aaron Jones not being in Green Bay. He's definitely not going to play out his whole contract without a restructure at the very least. But he is going to be here through at least 2022. How do I know that? Well, his cap number this year is pretty affordable. His cap number next year is pretty affordable. But next year, after that, 2023, his cap hit jumps to $19.25 million. And I don't care how good you are as a running back. There's really no justification at all for keeping a player at that figure. Aaron Jones is going to get his carries this year. He's going to get his carries next year. He's going to be a part of the Packers offense this year and next. But in 2023, there's going to be a tough conversation. Spring 2023, look out for that. 
So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate all the questions we got on this one. I would appreciate it even more if we got even more over the next week or so as we head through this bye week. We'd love to talk about whatever is on your mind. Would also love it if you'd go ahead and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. We're always trying to grow the show. That's the best way to do it. Our number one way we grow is through word of mouth. Uh, you letting other people know about the show, and that's going to get more people involved. If you tell people about the show, more people will listen and more people will join this conversation that you and I and everybody else are having together about the Packers, which in turn will help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.